that our society has moved to a place where we feel or sense we have to protect our society and our culture and our people from Jesus. Catch that. We have moved to a place that we believe that we have to protect our society from Jesus. So we don't have prayer in school. You're not allowed to read here or there. Or you can't sing this at a certain time. And we keep getting this push to push Jesus back into the church and the church only. That Jesus doesn't belong out here in the world. Jesus doesn't belong on the workplace. Jesus doesn't belong in our politics. Jesus doesn't belong in the marriage. Jesus doesn't belong in our relationships. The only place Jesus belongs is in the church. And we're finding society then constantly pushing in a way in which it is protecting people from the teachings and the purpose of Jesus. Because the command of Jesus is to go into all the world and do what? Teach the gospel. That is always this teaching effect from the Christian. But we have lost most of our voice in the community and in the world. And therefore there's very little impact that we're having. How many of you know that most of the higher education issues in America were started by Christians? Even Cincinnati College or Cincinnati University was started by Christians. Harvard, Yale, Brown, all of them started by Christians, but have lost their what? Their flavor, in a sense. George Washington said this, and, and let us with caution indulge the supposition that morality can be maintained without religion. You can't not maintain moral, upright living without religion. So let me go a step further. Without the teaching of Jesus. Whatever may be conceded to the influence a refined education or minds of peculiar structure, reason and experience both forbid us to expect that national morality can prevail in exclusion of religious principle. One of the things that happened yesterday with our sitting president in his speech, it was one of the first times you ever heard a president use profanity so much over the airwaves. Lyndon Johnson was known for his profanity, but he would not use it in public speaking. But Lyndon Johnson was known for all his swearing and cussing, but would not use it in the public. The court religion and public school. The establishment clause prohibits the government from interfering with individual religious beliefs. The government cannot enact laws aiding any religious or establishment and official state religion. The court has interpreted the establishment clause to accomplish the separation of church and state, because there is no such thing in law about separation of church 
and state it is a theory, it is not a written law. Both the national and state level of government. The authors of the First Amendment drafted the Establishment Clause to address the problem of government sponsorship and support of religious activity. The Supreme Court has defined the meaning of the Establishment Clause in causing dealing with public financial assistance to church-related institutions, primary parochial schools, and religious practice in the public school. The court has developed three Prong test to determine whether a statute violates the Establishment Clause. According to, the, to that test, a statute is valid as long as it has a secular purpose. Its primary effect neither advances nor inhibits religion. The strong part of our culture today is that it is making sure that religion does not do what? Advance. But it is not protecting the inhibited part of religion. And it is not excessively entangled with religion because these this three-pronged test was established for the protection of the public. Now, when we begin to protect ourselves from Jesus, we need to recognize something. A people or a society will never vote against its pleasures. Where adultery was once something you would go to jail for, you no longer go to jail for. Because you desire to do a certain thing, even to the point now, if you look at Colorado, we know marijuana is going to hurt the state. But because of the money that it brings in, Ohio also has passed it and many other states have passed it. Not thinking about the damage it will do to a younger generation or to the people of that state. The whole process is that we'll never vote against our pleasures. One time it was illegal to have alcohol or to really sell alcohol. But because that was something we enjoyed and it was our pleasures, we finally what? We finally passed it. Because we found pleasure in just being together. We came up with laws that we found that don't work in that area of cohabitation. And we had another name for it to make it legal. And we discovered it don't work. Freedom of sexual expressions. We're saying, boy, you express yourself. How many of you ladies like going into a women's restroom with a man in there who think he's a lady? It's not comfortable. But yet we have this freedom of expression of who we are. We have this freedom of expression to live an immoral life and, and nobody, in a sense, has a right to challenge my immoral life. Nobody has a right to say that this is wrong. Because it's what I want to do. The freedom to use profanity, to cuss. And have you noticed how many more women are cussing today? Where well, it used to be considered just a male thing. Now you hear mothers cussing at their two and three year olds that don't even understand what they're talking about. But we have that freedom. The freedom of alcohol and drugs and we're throwing money behind that like crazy. 
and then the freedom to destroy. For some reason we have this thing of destruction. And it's almost like we've been given a freedom to just destroy each other and each other's property. Karl Marx's view of religion. Karl Marx says something that oftentimes America thinks of. One, he says, the thing with religion is that, oh, oh, it went too fast. The thing with religion is that it's there and it's irrational. Uh, it's something that's not rational. And we often find ourselves here in America today. It's not rational. In other words, religion is only for the weak-minded. Religion is only for those who cannot somehow handle everyday life themselves. And they need something else to help them along. Religion is a delusion and avoids reality. In other words, I can't take the word of God and practically use it in everyday life. Because it does not fit reality of what's going on. It doesn't deal with that which is real. So we've even coined the little thing. i got to lay my Christianity down right now because it don't work over here. And i got to do my thing. But after I'm done doing my thing, then I go back and put my religion back on. It doesn't work that way. But Karl Marx says, boy... Religion is a delusion and it avoids reality. Then he comes up and he says, Religion negates all that is dignified in a human being by rendering them severe or making them like a slave or a servant to it. Now this might be where we are. This might be where America is at today. Because see, in doing so, and more amendable to accept the status quo. The church and Christians have moved to a place where we accept the status quo of America. Whether it be good or bad, we accept it. We don't even reason with it. We don't even think, is it good or evil? We don't even think, is it against God's law or God's principles or God's standards? We don't challenge it. We accept it. And we just live it. How many parents accept their children just living with somebody and we say, well, that's them. They know better. But we never say anything about it. How many of those parents hear our children cuss? Well, as long as they don't cuss at me, they are right. Ask yourself, how much have you allowed in your little world that is not of God? Or meets God's standards? Or God's principles. Or align itself with God's word. One of the things we were talking about up in the Sunday school with the youth. Was simply this. Evil comes. From that area of free thinking. And God gave us free thinking. That we can explore Him. That we can get to know Him better. That we can imagine Him on this side. And without free thinking, we would never have self-will. And if we didn't have self-will, we wouldn't have will to make the choice To either love him or despise him. 
but to live for Him. But because He gave us free thinking, we have the ability to think. The issue is, is my thinking developed by God or is it developed by the world? Where does my thinking proceed from? And you are taught by the world, but you are also taught by God. So in Galatians 5, it says the spirit and the flesh war against each other because the spirit is taught of the spirit and the flesh is taught of the world. And in this one mind, this battle goes on. This battle exists between two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. And we fight with it. And it is God then that has to teach me what is good. Isn't it strange? And you've heard it said over and over again. You never have to teach a child to do wrong. But you do have to teach a child to do what? What is right and good. And the question is, have we reached a point in which there is no room for the teaching of Jesus? Have we really reached that point? Go to John chapter 8 and go to verse 37. Some of this is coming out of the Easter time because the, the question is, why is it, and, and this is my thought from which it came from, why is it that the Pharisees sought to really kill Jesus? Why? Why did the Pharisees really think and put so much energy in against his teaching? How was his teaching hurting the people? How was his teaching destroying the people? For his teaching was still pointing towards God. And Jesus himself was a Jew. And how many of you understand Karl Marx was a Jew? And his family was Jewish. And the only reason they converted to Protestantism was to protect themselves against the Semitic laws, the persecution of Jews. So they did not convert just for the purpose of Jesus Christ. They converted that they might be protected and not be persecuted as Jews. And that set a bitterness in him against religion. And that religion doesn't deal with reality. Have we reached that point in this country that the teachings of Jesus has no meaning? They have no effect in life. They have no depth in life. They no longer are able to move a person's heart or help to form the thinking. For the scripture says, as a man thinketh what? So is he. So if you're thinking biblically, you're going to do things that please God. But if you're thinking in a worldly sense, you're going to do things that please who? So in John 8.37, he simply says it in this fashion. I know you are Abraham's descendants. Their argument was, yeah, we're Abraham's children. We love God. But that's like me trying to say, well, my grandma was a Christian, and because she was a Christian, I'm a Christian. And he goes on, he says, yet you are ready to kill me. And the thing that you have to prolong and give thought to, why were they really ready to kill him? What was he doing that they would want to kill him? Now answer me this question. Why in our society today, When you mention Jesus, or you're using the teaching of Jesus 
that you're attacked. Why? Why? It's more than just because there's diversity of religion in America. It is because the truth of Jesus Christ has the ability to set people free from bondage. And whether we want to recognize it or not, people who are in leadership and control, and we got to be careful with this in the church also, because in the church there's that thing of power and of authority that even sometimes pastors have to watch that they don't cross the line that we are not God. And everybody in the church don't bow down to reverend or doctor or bishop or this. But that we're in the same boat. We're all saved by the same blood. We all had to go to the cross of Jesus. But when you want to stay in control, you have to watch over and you have to develop the teaching that you're going to put into the minds of people. That's why Lenin said he wanted even the Christians of Russia at that time to come into the Communist Party because he says we need to re-instruct them. We don't want to keep them out. We want to teach them the truth that their religion is false. And he wanted Christians in. Yet, you are ready to kill me. Now listen to this part. Because you have no room for my word. You have no room for my word. In life, we come to a place, we think we've heard enough about Jesus. We've been enough Sunday school. We've been enough church that we don't need anymore. But even as Melvin said this morning, it's something you have to go over and over and over and over again. If you ever want to purify a rock to make a rock real smooth, put it in a river or area where water is constantly running over it. And as water constantly runs over it, it will take away all the sharp edges of it and it will be smooth, smooth. And as you allow yourself to be washed by the Word over and over and over again, you're becoming refined. All the sharp edges of this world is being cut away from you, removed from you. And you're becoming very smooth and usable by God. Now, He said, there's no room for my word in your heart. Out of the heart comes the issues of life. Proverbs says, out of the heart comes the issues of life. If the word is not in here, then what becomes the gatekeeper of what comes out here or my behavior? Satan don't care about you going to church. What Satan cares about is you learning the Word of God. Because you can go to church all your life and can't tell somebody where the book of Matthew or the book of Genesis is. You can go to church and you can hear good sermons. But it don't stay with you. But as you go back into the Word of God again and again and again and again, something begins to stay with you. But you got to be in it. 
You've got to go back through it. But if you say to yourself, I don't have a mind for God, I don't have a heart for God, that word will not stick. And all that is left for you to do is to do exactly what Scripture says not to do. All you can do is lean on your own understanding, your own rationale, because you have nothing inside of you to challenge your thinking. And one of the purposes of the Word of God is to bring correction to us. But if we don't have it inside of us, it doesn't have the ability then to bring about the correction. And he says there's no room. Are we becoming a culture and a society that has no room, no space for God's word? I was visiting my son not too long ago. And I wanted to look up something. Bucknell is a very rich, rich private university. Bucknell is very selective of the students that come there. Many of the senators send their children there. Many state governors send their children there. They have a wealth of funds unbelievable for a school its size. I went into the library and I asked the librarian, can you tell me where you have your religious section? And she told me, third floor down in the basement light. But as I was going... I was looking at all the students in these other areas that were broken off where students were studying and doing their research. And I got into the religious section and I was there all by myself. All these books. And I said, Lord, I'm in my world. So when I go visit my son now, I know where I'm going. And I'm there all by myself because people no longer desire to research out the things of God. Remember what it says in Acts 17 about the Bereans? They heard, but then they sought it out to see if it would be true. They studied it to see if it would be true. Never just accept the pastor's word. You go and study it for yourself. You go search it out for yourself. You go see if it be true for yourself. Then you apply it to your life. You allow the teacher of teachers to teach you the Holy Spirit. But there's got to be room. There's got to be a desire. You yourself have to want to sit at Jesus' feet and learn from Him. And He says there's no room. And I could not imagine the dollars that they spent year after year keeping this religious Because religion in the secular world is considered philosophy. And because it's considered philosophy, that's one of the departments that every university has to have a religious area because it's part of philosophy. But when people do their their philosophy or their research on philosophy, that's not where they go to. And yet, every major principle about philosophy proceeds from the Word of God. And we don't go back to the main source of where it started. Now, go to Psalms 33.12. Listen to what the Psalms is going to warn us about. Because oftentimes... 
we very quickly begin to leave God out of everything. Let's pick up in verse 10 if we can. Psalms 33:10. For the Lord foils the plans of a what? Of the nation. And usually every nation have what they considered some of the most intelligent people leading it or heading it. They don't want the C student. They want those top shelf folks that have wisdom and knowledge as they consider to lead a nation. But when you have a nation that has forgotten the God who has blessed it, then all you have is an emptiness, is a void. And God says these intelligent folks, these educated folks, I spoil their plans. I spoil their plans. And he goes on and he says, he thwarts the purpose of the people. Those who are planning these things. He thwarts their purpose. He throws it out. He goes on and he says, but the plans of the Lord stand firm. Forever. The purpose of his heart through all generations. Now catch this verse 12. Blessed is the nations whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Blessed is the nation. There starts the whole area of philosophy that we bring every principle back to God because God has discussed basically every major principle in his word that man will have to deal with. And he says, boy, blessed is that nation whose God is the Lord or who is master of or head of the people he chooses for his inheritance. The people that he chooses for his inheritance. Now, Jesus is warned by his enemies. Leave this place. Leave Jerusalem. Because they want to kill you. Now, it's strange because when I started looking at that verse, I'm saying, they want to kill Jesus. Now they're warning him. You need to get out of town. But they're warning him for they themselves would not have to do what? Deal with him. Let me put this in your mind. History says Jerusalem is the center of the world. Jerusalem is the center of the world. All authority was not in Caesar in Rome. All authority was in God there in Jerusalem, the place where he chose to dwell and to be. That's where all authority is at. And there in Jerusalem, you have this big battle going on about authority. And the authority question is this. Will man obey God? Or will he obey government? And you and I are having that battle today. Will we obey God? Or will we obey government? There's a reason that Terry has not been successful as she should be. Because Satan flaunts his type of lingerie and dress, even in the malls. You see it on TV. 
Things that you wouldn't have seen years ago, you see now. But we forget that we are in Satan's world and he has domain here for a little while. But he conditions our mind. So sometimes when I'm listening to people, even women, you can't go in the store and find the right type of dress so you're just made to buy this type of dress even though it's too short. How many of you remember those holiness churches that would go buy a dress and then they sew another hymn piece around it at the bottom? But we have learned to accept whatever it is that Satan puts before us. And we put it on. And the Lord tells us to dress in modesty, but yet we've lost the ability to know what is modest. So more than that, we dress for the attraction. Rather than for the Lord. And he says... My enemy is coming to warn me. I want you to take note of something about Obama. Obama helped to pass louder laws about gay rights. Obama help pass a lot of other things that I may not have approved of as a Christian. But did you notice every time a crisis took place, President Obama was quoting scripture. Was quoting scripture. He was taught by a very smart, educated pastor. You cannot take away from his pastor. The man speaks eight different languages fluently. He knows what is considered New Greek, Old Greek, and also Hebrew. Very intelligent man. I love to go listen to him even when I don't agree with him. (laughs) Because you're able to pick up something. You're able to pick up something. But even with Obama, he always had to come right back to the Word of God. Sometimes not following it. Many times maybe not following it. But whenever a crisis took place, whenever death took place, the only thing he had to lean upon to give an answer for was in Scripture. In 13.31, he says, At this time some Pharisees came to Jesus and said to him, Leave this place. Why? Why? And go somewhere else. Herod wants to kill you. Herod wants to... Now they didn't say they wanted to kill him. This is one of the verses that they're saying, somebody else wants to kill you other than me. They says, Herod is trying to kill you. What does Herod represent? Part of government. What does the state represent? Part of government. What does the city represent? Part of government. And as we look at it, these little things are trying to kill Jesus or the teaching of Jesus or the way in which Jesus would command his people to live. And the government has taken this stance to protect the people. From Jesus. They're not trying to protect him from 
much of any other religion. But there's this strong area about protecting the general public from the name of Jesus and his teaching. And what I want you to do is become more aware of that. I want you to hear more of that. I want you to be able to see it and point it out when it happens. That it comes to your awareness. Though you are trying, and we're going to talk about this next week. As the kingdom of God is trying to go forth, there are those also trying to keep it at bay. And he simply says, Boy, Herod's looking to kill you. You better get out of here. That's being said to us. You better shut your mouth. You can't pray here like that. You can't talk about scripture like that here. You can't do this or do that. Isn't it strange I can take a playboy on the job and show it to people, but I can't take scripture, the Bible, and show it to people? Because someone is saying, no, not here, not here, not here. And even the federal judge lost his job in Alabama over the thing called the Ten Commandments sitting on what is called public property. That in a sense we all share or own, but the Christian part of the world could not say, I want that Ten Commandments to stay out here in front. (laughs) It had to be removed. And you keep seeing the things of Christianity and the things that once at one time was a witness to people being removed, being removed, being removed. And what I want you to catch here in this area also now is the determination. The determination you have to have and I have to have that we're not going to give up that easy. And the church of God and Christians have become, like Martin said, we accept. We accept it. We accept what the world places on us. But Jesus, he replied in this manner. Go to verse 32. He replied, go tell that fox. Or go tell the government. Go tell the state. I will drive out demons and heal people today and tomorrow. And the church is saying, no, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to put myself at risk. I'm fleeing. I'm going. And somewhere the people of God have to stand up and say, I love the Lord and this is what I believe. There's going to have to be that place where we stand and we reach out into society. And if we really believe that we are gifted people, we are anointed people, we are blessed people, we have something that this world has need of, and it can't take place in here, it has to take place out there, but we have to carry it from here to there. And he says, go tell that fox. I will drive out demons and heal the people. What is he doing? Looking after the needs of what? People. It doesn't say whether they were believers or non-believers or what. It says people. I'm going to heal people. I'm going to do what people have need of. I'm going to set them free of demons. I'm going to minister to people. 
Ask yourself in your community, what is the ministry that you can have to your neighbor, to some kids, to some seniors? Who can you minister to? Who can you help? I'll use another one this morning. D with her financial background is saying, I want to educate and I want to minister too. See, all ministry don't take place in the church. They're using a ministry of teaching out. Sister Smith back there, Akron you a witness before many students. Just think of loading a bus up with 40 to 60 people going down the road with the gospel. Or even just telling people as they unload the bus, have a blessed day, have a wonderful day in Jesus. The witness that we take to our job and so forth. And don't allow anyone to stop you from sharing the love of Christ. And remember what scripture says in Romans 2. It's the kindness of God that drew us to God. It's your kindness to people that draw them to God. It's your kindness. It's your kindness. And he says, go tell that old fox. I'm going to drive out demons. I'm going to heal people. Today, now look at the determination. Because this becomes your determination. If you're not determined to do this, it won't take place. But Jesus says, go tell that fox, I'm determined to work with the people. Today, tomorrow, And on the third day, I will reach my goal. I'm just going to keep at it. But on the third day, he knew he would be given his life. But look even what, what follows. In verse 33. In any case, now ask yourself, is your heart set like this? In any case, I must keep going today and tomorrow and the next day. I must keep going. I must keep doing. I must keep teaching. I must keep witnessing. I must keep ministering. I must keep reaching after people. I must keep using my gifts, my talents for the glory of God. I must. Do you have that heartbeat? That this is what you must do? And it captivates you. And it focuses you. And it determines your action. Because this is what you must do. And then watch God open the doors. Watch God begin to work. When you determine that this is what you're going to do, and it's for the glory of God, understand this about God. God knows you cannot glorify Him. He knows you can't do it in and of yourself. But if you purpose to surrender to Him, that He can glorify Himself through you, There's no telling what he will do to make that possible. Terry never thought she would be showing her stuff for 15,000 people or more. That's only a God dream. That's only something God does. Whoever thought of Terry's name? Only thing Terry do is work downtown, water company. But who came up with Terry's name somewhere other than God dropping it into somebody's mind? Only that a door that God opens up. Who would have ever thought? 
But the must do is there. I must do this. Today, tomorrow, and even the next day. What is your must do? Let me share something with you. You'll never accomplish one goal if you don't have a must to. You'll never move yourself from point A to point B if you don't have a must to. You will wallow right where you're at in the mud and the only thing people will hear from you is all your complaining and criticizing. But when you have a must-do, you're going to talk about your dream even before it becomes reality. When you have a must-do, you will take your pockets and you will empty it into that must-do. Terry don't have nobody big financing her. Dee didn't have no millionaire say, come, we're going to set you up in business. But it's a must-do. And you keep pushing at it and pushing at it and pushing at it. And one day you're even surprised when the flower opens. And he says, I must do this. And then in 33 he says, no prophet can die outside Jerusalem. Let me share something. Jerusalem, the center of the world. The Jerusalem, the focus point of all authority between kings. And there's not hardly a war that's ever taken place in the world that Jerusalem had not been involved. And here's the spiritual part. And even today, all eyes are on Jerusalem with the Arabs and everything. Which will it be? Obedience to God or obedience to a government? Which one will it be? And that's what I think is taking place. The choice between authority of God or human authority. And in Acts 5.29 he says, we must obey God. We must obey God. We must obey Him. And when you are willing to obey Him, then you leave the results in God's hands. And sometimes, understand this as Christians, you may have to suffer for righteousness' sake. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with suffering for righteousness sake. Watchman Nee didn't like being put in prison in China. But some of his best writings came out of prison. Bonhoeffer didn't like it with the Nazis. But some of his best writings came out of prison. And sometime in your suffering, Your thoughts and your view of God changes. And some of your best relational times are with God in the midst of your suffering. That you never forget them. They're there. They're there. Now, in Luke 19, 47, every day, Leaders were trying to figure out a way. How can we kill him? We need to understand. There is that thought today. There are people daily trying to think. How can we push back against this Christian world? How can we push back against the philosophy of Jesus? How can we push back the teaching of Christ? How can we push it back? How can we hold it at bay? Because when the people hear it and the people get enthroned with it, the people understand 
It really is the power of God. But we have to keep it from them. We have to push it back where it's only in the church. And no wonder the church is dying in America because we can't get it outside the walls. And sometimes we hurt ourselves as Christians by saying what we can't do. Took Pastor Travis to a seminar with me, Building God's Way. And the one pastor showed us they bought a hotel. And in that hotel, they placed two pastors. And everybody who comes and spends the night in that hotel is invited to a Bible study and a worship service that evening. And they have seen over 32,000 people accept the Lord Jesus Christ in a hotel setting. And they own the hotel. They bought a big event building. And the United States government wanted to show off its new latest jet in their event building. Because there was no other building around Lockheed that could do it. So they rented their facility to the United States government to show off this new jet and the parts of it. And they also worship in there on Sunday. But when they're not worshiping, they use their large facility for other things that take place in the community. They even have a steakhouse that they rent out. And while the people are eating, they have people from the church who plays their guitars and and musical instruments. They sing songs. (laughs) A creative ideal of how to get outside the church and into the mind and the hearts of people. And like I told Pastor Travis, read what he has up there. Dream big. If you don't dream big, you're not going to achieve much of anything. Dream beyond yourself that says unless God intervenes, it's not going to fly. Mark 3, 2. Two enemies join forces. Pharisees and Sadducees. For one purpose, to kill Jesus. Islam and government, in a sense, have joined forces to do one thing, to stop the advancement of the gospel. Isn't it strange that in all the lands of Islam, there's this killing of Christians that are taking place. There's the destruction of ancient churches and artifacts that are being destroyed. Why? To remove every type of symbol about Christianity. But isn't it strange from what you do in your land and you can come here and in a very subtle way do the same thing and join with our government to even help perform it or do it. Two enemies joining forces to fight against. Isn't it strange? I was asked a few years ago to come and pray for our state senate. And I basically declined and because my prayer had to be one of the prayers selected out of their book of prayers. And therefore, I would not be praying from my heart for them. I would just be praying one of the prayers that they have given their okay to be prayed But yet when Islam go, 
No book is given to them. They go and pray. Closing. What are we facing today? A downward trend in our society. A society that has no consciousness of God is a society that will destroy itself. A a society that cannot figure out right or wrong and see itself right in all of its own actions is on a downward trend. So what we're seeing happening on news and in our community is that absence of the presence of God and his teaching. He is the only one who can hold back the whelms of the enemy. Remove God and Satan has a field day. Remove God from our thinking, from interceding in our thinking and our thoughts. And we have total immorality. We don't even think about the other person. We have no feelings for the other person. We give no thought to the sanctity of life. And we can take it whether it be a baby or whether it be an innocent senior walking down the street. We can take it. Because there's nothing up here or in here to challenge. We refuse to accept truth. And this is the area, and I think it's the whole crutch of our culture and our society rebelling against Jesus. Take these three truths, and when you see news, put them up there and interpret your news. When you're reading, use these three elements to determine the right or wrong of what you're reading. Go to John 14, and we'll close with this. 14.6 Jesus answered, I am the way. Now, what people want us to acknowledge is that there's some other way to get to heaven other than Jesus Christ. If we would agree with that, we would be welcomed. If we would agree with that, that you can get to heaven through Buddha, through Islam, through uh, Hindu, through any other kind of religion, confusion, boy, we would be accepted. Because we would be saying, again, what they're saying about us. We're just one of the ways. But you never hear the world says, we are the only way. You hear them say, we are one of the ways. And what they want us to do is to accept the label that they're willing to put on us. But they're not willing to accept the truth that we share with them, that we are the way. That's why the early church was called what? The way. The way. And then he says again, which pricks at our society, the truth. Catch that article. That Greek article in the Greek says, really look at this. The way, the truth, the He says, boy, the truth. All truth proceeds from who? From Jesus. All truth proceeds from God. All truth is of God. Even when it's not written in this scripture, the truth of nature declares that God is. He is the truth. And society, when we're reading books and stuff, we got to determine, is this true? If I begin to fashion my life after this philosopher and I begin to Live like what's being said in this book. Is it true? And you have to be able to determine what is truth that you're going to apply to your life. 
And what the world is saying, I don't want you to apply the truth of Jesus Christ to your everyday life. But yet you are supposed to apply everything you learn in school to your life. And yet, education is not the author of truth. God is. And then he says, boy, the life. The life. Without Jesus Christ, you're, you're dead. You're not living. But in Christ, you are alive. You have life. You have life in Christ. Outside of Christ, you're already dead in, in your trespasses and sin. But in Christ, you are alive and you're living. And then this last part, boy, is the threatening part. No one comes to the Father except through me. And our culture and our society don't want to hear that. They want us to deny that truth. That there's only one way to God through Jesus Christ. And they want to say it's many roads, many ways. But there's only one way. And we cannot surrender that. We cannot give up on that. Either I believe it or I don't believe it. And if I truly believe it, I'm going to export it from the church out here. My friend can be a Muslim, but I want them to know the truth. My friend can be a non-believer, but I want to share truth with them. My children and my family may be unbelievers, but I'm going to share truth with them. I told Jeremy, my grandson, I said, sometimes you think Grandpa, every time he sees you talking about religion or talking scripture. I said, the reason I share with you is because I believe scripture gives us a way of life that you cannot possess outside of the word of God. You cannot possess life outside of the word of God. And no man can serve two masters. And though we may try it, and you can prove this in your own life, you can't have two minds. You really can't live two lives without becoming confused. Either you will live unto God or you will live unto this world. Can't do them both. Father, thank you that, Lord, that you speak to us.